You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Yeah, it's a, it's a pleasure to be with you all, and I think this is an awesome thing that you're doing here, and uh, you know, I'd love to see my own church do something like this. Uh, so I think the title that I had was Grace and Ordinary Life. Uh, and so it'll be something about grace, and we'll just we'll see where we go with it. Um, I'm going to try to keep my talk, or part of this, relatively brief, and then we'll see where the conversation goes. But when I started to think about what to do with grace in ordinary life, I thought, well, what would a Lutheran do? They're going to turn to Luther. So I want to start uh, this evening by reading just a brief quotation from Martin Luther. And this is his exposition of the first article of the Apostles' Creed. So he says, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. What does this mean? I believe that God has made me and all creatures, that he has given me my body and soul, eyes, ears, and all my members, my reason and all my senses, and still takes care of them. He also gives me clothing and shoes, food and drink, house and home, wife and children, land, animals, and all I have. He richly and daily provides me with all that I need to support this body and life. He defends me against all danger and guards and protects me from all evil. All this he does only out of fatherly, divine goodness and mercy, without any merit or worthiness in me. For all this it is my duty to thank and praise, serve and obey him. And then because he's Luther, he wants to put some punctuation on it. He says, this is most certainly true. This is most certainly true. And what I think Luther is doing there is he's saying the first article of the creed answers for us the question that's raised by the first commandment. So if we are to have only one God, what kind of God do we have? And the God that we have is a gracious creator. He has created all things and given it to us as a gift so that Anything that you look at, including, yes, your shoes. We have the only confessional uh, material throughout all the Reformation that mentions shoes. I want to make sure you know that everything from, from the bottom to the top, everything that you see in life is grace. It is all a gift. And so for Luther, the doctrine of creation isn't something that you can just relegate to history. It's not about some time back then. The doctrine of creation is how we understand life now. It's how we understand the world, everything in it, and our own existence. And so if you think of that question that Paul asked the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 4, he says, what do you have that you did not receive? And the answer would be nothing. I, mean, I have received everything. It is all a gift from a gracious creator who gives to me and has created me. Not because I deserved it, not because I am worthy of it, but only because he is a good father who is merciful and gracious. And for Luther, this is meant to put us in a, in a kind of posture that we, we hear this, we know this to be true, that this is what grace is. It's this sort of all-encompassing gift, and we thank and we praise and we serve and obey him. Easy enough, right? Just, just do it. So the question for me that comes from Luther and from Scripture more broadly is, how do we take something like this and let it be what shapes our vision of life? So that we let a kind of robust theology of grace shape how we live and how we approach life, where we are people of grace. We are gracious people. 
And how do we do that in a way that doesn't creep into a kind of hallmark sentimentality? You know, where you just think, well, I have to be optimistic because everything's grace and I have to be thankful and I better put on my wall a sign. Make sure you don't have anything. <laughs> put on my wall one of those signs that says, like, be grateful. And you think, well, okay, <laughs> I'll try. You know, how do we be people who are formed by grace and can embody grace uh, in, a, in a sort of thick, healthy way without sliding into that uh, way of thinking about it that really just becomes another way of enforcing the law? Like, you've got to be thankful. You've got to be gracious. How do we instead let grace inform our lives? And so what I want to do tonight uh, in hopefully a fairly short time, I was told an hour, but I, and that, that didn't seem right. So um, I'm do, I want to do three quick things. One is I want to kind of talk about two ways to, to talk about grace. I want to share my own personal experience in trying to figure out how to let grace shape my ordinary life. And then I want to introduce a distinction that I've been finding pretty helpful for thinking about my life and uh, having it be formed by this kind of vision of grace. So, first of all, kind of two ways to talk about grace. I assume an, an, a few of you at least are aware of Mockingbird Ministries, right? the website and the conference. I, I figured this would be a pretty um, you know, safe place to assume that. Well, a, a few I think months ago now, the, the editor-in-chief, David Zoll, wrote a blog post that really caught my attention. And he wrote about the doctrine and the disposition of grace. So you have the doctrine of grace and you have the disposition of grace. And the basic idea of the article was it's important to hold a doctrine in a way that actually fits with the doctrine. So, for example, I could stand up here and, and talk about the wonderful love of God and then go home to my wife and kids and be an absolutely unloving jerk. And those two things just wouldn't fit. Or you can kind of know the, the street uh, evangelists who are just sort of yelling at people, you have to repent and be saved because God is a loving God. And I think, well, maybe, but I certainly wouldn't get that from you because their disposition doesn't fit the message. The disposition and the doctrine are sort of at loggerheads. You know, How can we talk about a gracious God and then sort of go on to be pretty stingy and ungracious? And, and Zoll notes that there is always going to be a kind of mismatch between our doctrine and our theology. But it's important that we try to have uh, a disposition that does fit with the doctrine. And my, my thinking about this has been kind of running parallel as I've been thinking about the doctrine of grace. And this has been on my mind a lot uh, just because of some life things is to ask, how can I have the doctrine of grace and sort of understand it rightly? But then also try to let that doctrine be embodied in the way that I go about my daily life. The way I pastor, the way I'm a parent, the way I am a father, the way I deal with other people in the world. How can I have that disposition that fits the doctrine? And, uh, you know, in a place like this, I might go so far as to say the question would be, if I get the doctrine in place, because I think I think I get something about grace. I think I understand something about it from the Apostle Paul. I'm I'm Lutheran, so I'm at, I'm supposed to know something about about grace and justification, all this stuff. If I get that in place, how do I cultivate the disposition of grace? So doctrine and disposition is like the first thing I want us to think about here. 
But then I want to talk a little bit about my own experience of trying to hold these two things together. Um, and I'm going to talk just a little bit about parenting. If you heard my sermon yesterday, I talked about my kids. I don't talk about my kids and parenting all the time, but it just seems relevant right now. And this is not about parenting um, because I don't have any you know, room to stand up and tell anybody about how to parent. But when I do theology, I like to think from particular things. I like to think about the concrete things of life and then work out rather than think in terms of abstractions. So I think where we're going here will hopefully be helpful and, and, and useful no matter where you are in life and, and what you're doing because it's not about parenting. But just a little bit about my uh, sort of history. I have these two girls, uh, but what you may or may not know about them is they were both adopted. So my wife and I went through uh, like probably eight years of infertility and just trying to have a family, not knowing why it's not happening, you know, going to doctors and tests and procedures and just nothing was going on. And we had no idea why. Um, and we basically reached that point where the doctor was like, I don't know why it's not happening, but if you keep spending money, we can keep not knowing why it's not happening. And, you know, we'll just see where that goes. And I said, I don't think that sounds like a good idea. But, I mean, we just had all these years of sort of despair. Like, we want a family so bad. You know, you're just watching your wife sort of be crushed this whole time because she longs for children. And I did, too. Um, and a number of things happened. And eventually, sort of through some relationships and family members, our, our hearts were turned towards adoption. We thought, okay, this is an avenue in which God could answer our prayers, that we're going to finally have uh, a family. And lo and behold, on, on one day in Ohio, I get a call. We, my wife and I were, were eating ice cream. We'd been selected for adoption. Praise God, you know, at this amazing moment, we have to drive through the night because this baby boy is being born. You know, just think everything is happening now. What an amazing gift that we have just received. Like we have family, life can move on. Of course, if you've been paying attention, I just said baby boy. We don't have a baby boy in our life. We had, we had this baby boy for about a month. Um, and then sort of the adoption lingo is that it was an interrupted adoption, which basically means on, from our end, it was a failed adoption. The adoption fell through. He went back with his biological family. We drive back to Ohio just sort of crushed and thinking, okay, like, we thought prayers were answered. Now it's just been taken away from us. We thought we had received the gift. Now it's gone. And it was into kind of all of that even more heightened kind of sense of despair and depression that our two girls showed up. You know, we, we drive to, to hand this boy back to his biological family. And then it was about a month after that, we get a call and like, hey, there's another couple that wants to interview you about adopting this baby girl. And we're there day one. And I, I tell this because there was such a stark background to, to the uh, in, eruption of these girls in our lives. Like it was been dark, it had been full of kind of despair and depression. And then this joy comes in. And I would think that if any parent has ever been well suited to understand their kids as a gift, a sort of God's mercies interrupting into the sort of normal everyday things of life, it would be me. Because I would think, man, I don't deserve these children. I obviously couldn't create them myself. Like God has, has worked life so that they are now my family. They are now my daughters I'm adopted into my family. This is a gift that God has given me. I thought I will always be grateful 
I will always be thankful. I will always be filled with wonder and joy. But no matter like how kids come into your life, no matter what the conditions are, no matter what is happening with your family, eventually that baby that you, you held, you know, day one in the hospital, she turns three. Like, just wait. I, I, just, well, I mean, I already feel like all hell is breaking loose kind of all the time. And, uh, you know, they turn three and you just enter into the eternal struggle of how do you deal with this little tyrant in my house who is also, you know, the most beloved thing I have in life. What I've found as I, you know, am experiencing all of the joys of, of parenting now is that so often I think I have still the doctrine of grace in place. Like I, I, I can sort of look at my life and understand the gift of salvation I've received in Jesus. I can think about creation more broadly. I can think about the specific gift of my children as gifts that God has given me. I mean, if I take Luther seriously, take Scripture seriously, those children are a gift. So I get the doctrine of grace in place, but so often the disposition is just way far gone. Like there's just this absolute disconnect between the doctrine and the disposition. Because, you know, they test your patience. It's easy to get frustrated, and it's easy no longer to think you're a gift. It's easy to think you're a burden, or you're a thing that's just been here to to torment me, or something, or something like that. And so this experience of, of parenting has pushed me to a place in life where I'm having to pray ever more. How can I have a disposition of grace that matches the doctrine? How can I sort of have an embodied view of grace that works its way out in my life as I live towards my parents or my, my kids, as I live towards my wife and my parishioners and all of these sorts of things? And kind of the, the last thing I want to do here is introduce a, a distinction that I've been thinking about a lot. And it's been really helpful for me, at least. And it's pretty simple. Like, it's not going to be any sort of incredible insight, but it's a simple thing. I tend to find those are, are the best. Um, maybe it will be helpful to you a little bit, but it's the distinction between ownership and stewardship. So ownership and stewardship. And I think all of us have a pretty straightforward concept of ownership. You know, you own a car, you own a house, maybe you own a business, you, you you own all kinds of other things. Those things are mine. Like I possess them, they are mine. We may not always have as thick of a concept of what stewardship is. I mean, what comes to your mind when you hear the word stewardship, if anything? Children. Children? Yeah. That's what I think. Mm. Boy, that's a spoiler alert. That's where we're going. (laughs) (laughs) I think of like old-fashioned church language for tithing, like a stewardship campaign. That kind of thing. Um, I don't know if any of you are nerds, but I think of uh, a character from The Lord of the Rings, which we're going to come back to that. If you haven't, if you haven't watched or read it, it's okay. It'll all make sense. Yeah, I'm the steward of Gondor. <laughs> um, the basic distinction for me here, I'm going to keep this hopefully pretty simple, is ownership says what I have is mine. I have control of it, and the goal is to make it be what I want it to be mine i have control make it be what i want it to be stewardship says what i have is given to me i take care of it and the goal is to lead it to its true purpose so 
It's what I have is mine versus I've received it. It's control versus taking care. And it's taking things and trying to make it be what we want it to be versus taking those things and helping to lead it to what it's meant to be. That's, that's okay. All right. Um, this distinction has been very useful for me in parenting, but I think it has wider application as we think about all of our relationships, as we think about our lives as Christians, as we think about uh, even you know running a business. Because if, if you go to the New Testament, the language gets applied you know, in pretty different ways. Paul talks about his apostleship. He says, I am a steward of God's grace. This is this thing that's been given to me to take care of and to pr- proclaim to others, to pass on. Uh, Peter, in the first epistle, says, you know, all Christians are called to be stewards of God's varied grace. Like, the New Testament very much puts us into a place where we understand that we are stewards. The question is just, do we understand what that means and what we are meant to do with it? And I think if you, you, know, if you go back to the early chapters of Genesis, you see that what we were created to be you know, is stewards. Do we own creation? No, <laughs> we don't own creation. God created. He is the king of creation, but he installed and appointed humans to be caretakers, to be people who stewarded creation, who ruled wisely over it. And we're not meant to sort of misunderstand our, ourselves as creators or owners or kings, but rather as stewards. And so to go back to, to Lord of the Rings, um, there's a character and, uh, named Denethor, and he is what's called a steward of the kingdom of Gondor. And the role of the steward was to watch over the kingdom until the true king returned. And the true king, you know, is the, the hero of the, the books and the movies. And what happens in the movies, more so than the books, you know, we'll stick with the movies tonight. What happens in the movies is this steward, Denethor, starts to misunderstand himself as being the owner. I'm not going to step aside when the king shows up. This is mine. He's a steward who thinks, oh, I'm actually the owner here. I am the king. And of course, where his story ends up is that he, you know, immolates himself on a, on a, on a pyre. And, you know, that's sometimes where you think parenting is going to lead you to as well. But, uh, but a steward who misunderstands himself to be a king thinks he is the owner. I mean, there's some, there are some biblical parables about that. You know, Jesus actually has some pretty harsh words in, in Luke 12, and I think the, the, the parallel is Matthew 24, about a master of a house, a person who's been put in charge, and who thinks, oh, the true master is not coming back, so I can do whatever I want. I am the one who runs the show here. And I think that's the kind of the basic human temptation, is not to be content with being stewards, but want to be owners instead, to say, this is mine. I have the control. I'm actually the king. Because any claim to ownership, in sort of scriptural terms, is going to be a, a claim to kingship instead. And what I think scripture would call us to do here is to repent. That we, we, we seek to die to that sense of ownership so that we can live now under the one true king, the one rightful owner, the creator, as stewards of his grace. And so I think about my, my house, and very easily I can think of my house as my kingdom. 
and I do this subconsciously, of course. I'm not walking in because my my wife is is six foot tall and she works out. And if I ever said I this is my kingdom and I'm the the owner of it, like she would she would hurt me. Like <laughs> it, w- it wouldn't be good. But subconsciously, I can think like, oh, this is mine. I have control of this, or at least I should. Everybody needs to kind of measure up to what I want. And when they don't measure up, like I lose my patience. I get frustrated. Things just don't work right because I'm, I'm working according to a standard of whether they deserve things rather than whether I should just give it to them freely because I've received freely. When I come home and think in terms of being a steward instead, I say, it doesn't matter what they deserve because the whole basis of my existence, my, my life, my identity, my vocation in the world is all founded on a grace that I don't deserve. And what I'm called to do now is just to pass on this love that I've received. My kids don't need to measure up to my standards because my standards aren't what matters. In the ultimate accounting of things, that is not what is most important. My purpose is not to take them and to control them and to just sort of make them smaller versions of me. My purpose is to shepherd them along, point them to the grace of Jesus, teach them what it looks like to follow. So I have been going back to this distinction a lot, just trying to make sense of my own life. And I find that I have to do it very explicitly often. I'm not going to like get a tattoo or something that, you know, steward in Greek or anything like that. I'm not going to go that far, but I do have to pray about it. You know, I need the help of the spirit because so easily I go back to that ownership mindset. This is mine. I have control. Uh, I need to, to make things be what I want them to be. And it's only the work of the spirit in my heart to drive me instead to that more, I think, gracious place of everything is a gift. And if it's a gift, I don't own it. I just take care of it. And if it's a gift, it's been given to me for a particular purpose. And I'm meant to just help to lead it to that purpose. For me, that kind of puts me into a different disposition with my girls, puts me in a different disposition uh, with my wife, that we are not meant to work according to uh, standards of deserving. I'm not meant to come home and think about how she should serve me, but rather to flip it because our master is one who came not to be served, but to serve when we follow in his example. I think of this in terms of, you know, business. I mean, when you own a business, do you own a business? From a certain perspective, yes. But from the the true perspective of our created life, you are simply stewarding the gifts that have been given to you. So it puts us into a different framework, I think, of what do we do with these things? What is the true end here? What is my purpose as as a business owner or an employee or whatever place you might find yourself in life? So the doctrine and disposition of grace, I've sort of latched on to this idea of stewardship because it's been the clearest way for me to try to keep those two things together. It's a framework for thinking about the doctrine of grace, but then it's a sort of approach to the people in my life that says, this is the way that I think I'm going to try to embody this. Now, David Zoll, in that, that article that I mentioned, it's, it's really worth looking up and, and spending 10 minutes reading or so. He ends it basically by saying, there is always going to be a huge gap between our ability to talk about something like grace and our ability to live it out. 
Like we're always going to be better at getting the doctrine than the disposition. Because if it were easy, you know, if, if it were just easy to take sinners like us and just remodel us and make us perfect citizens of the kingdom, well, you would just go do it tonight, right? We would just like sort of get it all right. If, it, if all it took were a few concepts and distinctions, that would be one thing. But because we all are broken, we're all, you know, in the classic language, we're all turned in on ourselves. It takes the work of the Spirit to break us open and to push us out towards others. And so the ultimate hope here is that grace finally is not a doctrine. Grace finally is not a disposition. But grace ultimately is always a person. Grace is always Jesus Christ. It's like that's what gives us the final hope here. That when we find ourselves in that place of ownership or being you know, bad stewards even, we have this gift, this foundational gift of Jesus Christ, knowing that he is given for us, he shed his blood for us, we are covered by him, we are forgiven. So I think that's where grace goes to the root of things, that you always start from that place of forgiveness. And it's in the freedom of that, the freedom of that we ask, how now can I let this grace be embodied in my life? So I'll, I'll stop there because I've hit the point now where I, I would just keep saying things. So we'll pause there. Um, and I'd, I'd like to know, first of all, just does that distinction between stewardship and ownership sort of make sense for you? Does it, does it click into place at all? Yeah, that's really useful. I think that's insightful and kind of rhymes with some stuff we get from uh, Jesus in the Gospels, which, you know, if ownership is sort of the sinner's natural way of living in the world, what you do realize is that you think you're owning the things, but in the end, they're actually owning you. You know, tonight, fool, your, you know, your life will be demanded from you because you thought you needed to build a second barn to hold all of your stuff. Like, I'll pray that that's true. Yeah. <laughs> I'll pray that there are good things to come. Oh, yeah. This could be dramatic, yeah. Can you go crank up the fire a little bit for this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was... I mean, I think in a, uh, just the, the most basic sense, you say there are two gifts given to us that are perfect and that cannot lose their perfection. It's Christ and the Holy Spirit and the gifts we receive in them, the gifts of salvation... Uh, we can distort our understanding of them or our application of them or all sorts of things, but they are perfect gifts. But all the other gifts of creation, you know, shoes, house, uh, car, kids, spouse, whatever it may be, all of those other gifts are going to be subject to the brokenness of the world. Uh, and so good gifts can be broken. They can be distorted. Um, they can be used for purposes that they were not created for. And that's what we do in sin is we take the good gifts of God and, and use them for things they were not intended for. And so I think there is always a core um, goodness to creation. You know, God saw it was very good, and that's why he's working to redeem all of this, because it is his good creation that stands in need of redemption. So I never, or I shouldn't say never, I rarely try to speak in... in abstractions of how to do kind of pastoral type care with people who are really suffering just because humans are not abstractions. So I think you want, we want to approach every situation as they come and deal with the real human that's in front of us. Um, but I think all of the sort of 
theological principles, the doctrines that we've laid out here, um, they all apply. It's just part of that disposition of grace would be learning how to apply them well to the person that's in need. You know, what do they need to hear? What do they need to understand? What does their suffering or conflicted heart need um, from the gospel? That, that's kind of a, an answer that's a non-answer, but it's something that I believe. <laughs> There are some situations where doctrine is not the subject that needs to be on the table. Mm. Mm-hmm. You have to try to meet the person where they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, not, they're not in a position to hear it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, the, one of the tragic things you see when you do a lot of funerals, which I did a lot of funerals in my first call. I had like 14 the first year or something, and then... And I haven't had any since I moved back to Oklahoma. I guess, you know, people just die a lot more in Ohio. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, <laughs> you know, and you'd be at a funeral, in a couple of cases, a sort of tragic or unexpected death, and you hear people quote parts of Romans 8 to people. You know, God works everything together for the good. Or you, or you sort of spin out, uh, uh, God has a plan. And, like, things that, in the abstract, are true but that's the last thing that that person needs you know the truth that they need is the truth of someone that they love coming alongside them and saying gosh this sucks and i love you and i'm just here for you i think that i think that is the sort of true theology in that moment good medicine for the wrong disease yeah I mean, my life is pretty good. I still often don't want to hear that there's a plan. <laughs> like, that's, uh, that's, it's really easy to try to make anything in the Christian life a contest yeah. or, you know, just the ladder, you know, the thing that you have to climb. And you could even take this and sort of put it in that way, too, of like, well, now i got a new thing to work on. <laughs> like, I need to make this distinction. And I really need to make sure that I'm doing this thing. Otherwise, I'm, you know, going astray. Rather than just thinking about it and instead of, we're trying to figure out how can the doctrine of grace take root in our lives so that it becomes, you know, sort of the true core of our existence, becomes the north star to how we understand who we are and how we live life in the world. Um, and I think we want to do that because ultimately that's the most freeing thing to say, I don't have to be an owner. I don't have to be a king. I don't have to try to bend everything to my purpose, but rather to trust God that he's good, that he gives gifts and that he has purposes for them. Um, and it's not easy to give up control. I mean, obviously that's one of the hardest things, but what faith does is say, God, you're better at controlling this than I am. I will make a mess of this, um, which you learn with a three-year-old every day. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and sometimes that is exactly what you need to do is just say, God, you, you step in, I can't do this, and then sometimes it's the thing of, God, I need you to do it, through me because this is the thing that you've called me to mm-hmm. you know I've called I've been given this vocation to love my neighbor here in this way and I know you're calling me to do it so I need you to reorient my heart I need you to turn my love and my desires towards you to them so. and it's freeing when you submit or give it to God you know it's freeing. You know, you, you feel like a burden's been lifted off of you. I mean, of course, you, mm. with his help, you can do it. Yeah. But, you know, um, 
you're not having to do it alone. Mm. And then sometimes you will just fail. <laughs> and then maybe not sometimes, like most of the times you will just fail. And that's why we remember, you know, ultimately not a doctor nor disposition, but it's always the person of Christ. Is, is that where you check? Yeah, I hadn't thought about putting it explicitly in that sort of symbol uses at the Kotor yeah. framework, but that's a good, I think that's a helpful thing to do is we will always be both things. And we pray that the grace releases us from the one or rather we die to it so that we can be set free to live the, the, the freer joy of, of knowing that it's all a gift. Um, and I, I think, you know, as I read Luther, um, the fact that we are, you know, forgiven, we're saints in Christ, or the fact that we're stewards in Christ or whatever word we want to use, for, for Luther... <clears throat> Uh, it's not actually like a fiction, you know, it's not just an idea that God has about you, but it is something that takes root in our real lives, you know. Um, it's really tr dangerous to talk about growth in the Christian life because it never is straightforward. And that's why we as Lutherans, you know, some Christian denominations talk about Christian growth as you start at the bottom and you just grow. And, like, that doesn't happen. <laughs> I mean, you wish it would happen, but it doesn't because we remain sinners. And some will sort of draw, you know, you have your ups and your downs. Um, the way that we tend to talk about it is every day you start here, maybe you'll go up and things will be good or bad, but then you come back to where you started. We talk about every day you just return to your baptism. You return to that source of salvation in Christ. Um, so that hopefully some days I embody the, the doctrine of grace more. I embody that sense of stewardship. But I know that every day it's just starting over. Uh, every day the mercies are new. Uh, every day I can be forgiven for the ways that I sought control or to be the king of my world uh, the day before. So I don't think we'll ever um, go too far by trying to understand how grace is at the root of all things, you know? Like, it literally is the heartbeat of the universe because it's God. Like, God is a grace giver. So, you know, the, I remember who was mentioning this earlier, sort of complaint about this idea of hyper-grace, of being too much grace, and you just, you can't do it. You can't do it. You can't make it be too much grace. I mean, I, you could take it in probably a non-biblical way and, and, and you could twist it in certain different aspects. But I don't think we'll ever come to, to the limit of grace and think, oh, we've hit the end. It's finally ran out. I can get my mind around it now. It's always more to learn, always more to discover. Um, um, yeah, I appreciate you saying that. And I, I think I've almost been the opposite way. Is I, I think I had an idea of stewardship in my mind, and I thought, oh, this just is what I'm doing. And because that that more sinful ownership you know, paradigm was more like subterranean in my soul, and that was the implicit framework of my life. So I thought I was doing the one thing, but you know, in our Lutheran terminology, the law had to come in to reveal to me, actually, this is where your heart is. This is how you're, you're working and approaching. So I think it's important... Um, Oftentimes that we need sort of sinful paradigms or, or ways of approaching life or the sort of shape that our heart takes to be revealed to us um, so that we can know where we are and see what we're being released of by grace, if that makes sense.
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's got a lot of work to do. Yeah. <laughs> See if there are any final fresh revelations. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It's been great to be with you. I appreciate you, you know, being willing to come out here and sit and listen to me for a while. So thank you. Oh yeah. Holy Father, I thank you uh, so much for this time that we've had to be together tonight to share fellowship, uh, to talk with one another, to think about uh, the grace that you give to us in all of its forms, but chiefly in Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you uh, for the gift of this men's ministry. pray that your blessing would be on it, that your spirit would be at work in the lives of these men so that they would know more and more the truth of the gospel for them. And Lord, I ask uh, that for each and every one of us, wherever we are in life, uh, whatever we're doing, whatever vocation you have set us in, you would help us to know who we are before you and what you've called us to do, and you would free us to live in the joy of the gospel. Lord, watch over us tonight and keep us safe and bring us into a new day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.